Eva Wong says she didn't have the typical background one might expect from an entrepreneur. She'd become a management consultant following university. She worked for some big companies and spent several years in the nonprofit industry, both in Canada and overseas. So I didn't really have much of a background in technology or startups or financial services, which is uh, what I'm in right now, a, a fintech company. So uh, yeah, it, it wasn't very typical at all, but hopefully that's encouraging for people who might be listening who are interested in doing something more entrepreneurial. I don't think you sort of are born with an entrepreneurial gene that you have to have in order to do something um, like a startup or to start your own company. In 2014, with two children at home, Eva co-founded Borowell, a financial technology or fintech company with a mission of helping people to make wise decisions about credit. We were the first company to give credit scores and credit reports out for free in Canada. And in addition to that, we provide lots of tips and advice on how to improve your credit score and product recommendations on sort of optimizing the different financial products that you use today. And so our goal is to help people feel more sort of calm, in control, and confident about their financial decisions and help them to move to a place where they really feel at peace about their finances. On this episode of Run It Like a Girl, Eva talks about the pros and cons of being a woman in the tech industry. She tells us that not all tech companies have done a great job in creating environments that encourage and welcome diversity and need to do more. Eva also talks about different leadership styles, pointing out that you don't have to be a loud extrovert to be an effective leader. Eva Wong on this episode of Run It Like a Girl. Today's another exciting day for us here at Run It Like a Girl, as we're sitting down to talk with Eva Wong, who is the founder and chief operating officer of Borowell. Eva, thank you so much for agreeing to join us for an episode today. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So I think I would like to start. Uh, you've been involved with Borowell from the very early days. I'd like to talk a little bit about where you were in your career before Borowell came along or came into your life and what made you decide to go down the route of a startup organization. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. I don't think I necessarily have a typical background for an entrepreneur. I think a lot of times when I've heard people talk about their entrepreneurial journey, a lot of times it started really young. You know, they were 11 years old and had a lemonade stand, and that really wasn't me so much. I grew up, got good marks, went to university, chose the program I did because I wanted to get a good, decent paying job when I graduated. So I studied business. I did that. I became a management consultant. And then I really did work more in big companies uh, for for the first little bit. Um, I guess like one of the things that, again, is probably not so typical is I spent a number of years working in the not-for-profit industry. Uh, so I worked for a number of not-for-profits, both here in Canada as well as overseas, and that's a big part of uh, my background and what I was passionate about. So I didn't really have much of a background in technology or startups or financial services, which is uh, what I'm in right now, a, a fintech company. So uh, yeah, it, it wasn't very typical at all, but hopefully that's encouraging <laughs> for people who might be listening who are interested in doing something more entrepreneurial. I don't think you sort of are born with an entrepreneurial gene that you have to have in order to do something um, like a startup or to start your own company. 
Uh, you know what I think I think that's I think that's an important message right because I also think there's a bit of intimidation when you hear you know women in tech or a tech industry and and what that means and then mm. of course the whole thing around being an entrepreneur and um, the type of personality that attra- that is attracted to those kind of startup positions so I think that's a good message that that wasn't the plan at all really um, no it wasn't and I think the thing that was consistent within my career is I always did things where I was excited about what the mission and the outcome was. I thought I would, you know, I always took things where I thought I would learn a lot, and I tried to pick places where I would work with really great people who would challenge me and who I could learn from. So I think what I took from a a number of the experiences I had before was I was always learning. I was always doing things that sort of pushed myself beyond my comfort zone, and so I think that's part of what prepared me for what I'm doing today. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Um, How how did Borowell come come into play? For you. Yeah, so it was uh, it was founded by my co-founder Andrew, who's our CEO, and he put together a co-founding team, which I was a part of. And for me, it was uh, the opportunity to attack a problem that I felt was very large and um, uh, impacting a lot of people. And that is that a lot of people today live paycheck to paycheck. They don't have a lot of savings, and they're not necessarily making great financial decisions. And that isn't just a financial problem. That has lots of different implications for people's relationships, for whether or not they feel like they could pursue their career goals and their dreams. It affects people's families. And so um, it's also, you know, both a physical and and mental health impact when you're you're stressed about your financial situation. So to me, it was this like really big problem that didn't feel like uh, it had been solved. And so I think like that was the first thing. The second was the opportunity to work with Andrew. So we had actually founded a not-for-profit together when we were both working other full-time jobs. And that was super fun. And so I really enjoyed working with Andrew and and thought if we could do something uh, together, that would be really great. So that was definitely a part of it as well. So working with great people. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like the same three things I talked about before, which is a mission that I was excited about, uh, working with really great people, and then the ability to learn a lot. Great, cool. And, you know, I think maybe uh, for some of our, our listeners, uh, tell us a little bit about Borowell. So what is it exactly that your organization does? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy to talk about it. <laughs> so our mission today is to help people make great decisions about credit. We were the first company to give credit scores and credit reports out for free in Canada. And in addition to that, we provide lots of tips and advice on how to improve your credit score and product recommendations on sort of optimizing the different financial products that you use today. And so our goal is to help people feel more sort of calm, in control, and confident about their financial decisions and help them to move to a place where they really feel at peace about their finances, which we realize today across North America, Europe, and and lots of other places, people do not feel uh, sort of calm or, or peace of mind about their financial situation so yeah, that's that's a little bit about Borwell. We have an app that you can download if you're in Canada. Or you can go to our website and sign up. It's completely free to uh, to use, and uh, yeah, it's uh, we definitely would recommend checking it out if you if you haven't already. Today, okay. actually, I'll just mention uh, we have over a million people in Canada who use us, and so uh, depending on who uh, your listeners are, about one in twenty five adult Canadians are already a Borwell member, but we're continuing to grow and. Again, we think that uh, we have a lot to offer. I'm on Borowell. <laughs> uh, oh, good. <laughs> so I'm one of those million million Canadians. That's and, great. You know, I got I I can't remember how I um, how where I 
discovered Borowell, but what I, I do remember is years and years ago needing a credit check for something and just what a pain it was to have to go on and either like mm. and pay for it or get it physically mailed to you yeah. or <laughs> things yeah. like that. So uh, I would definitely put a plug in for your organization and, and what they've That's done awesome. to bring transparency <laughs> to your own great thanks, buddy. Uh, your yeah. own finances. Um, so yeah. Maybe we'll move a little bit. So now you're uh, the chief operating officer of a very fast-growing organization. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, with that uh, is, it comes leadership. And i just mm-hmm. like to talk a little bit about authentic leadership and what that means to you and the type of leader that, that you try to be. Yeah, I think it's such an interesting question because you definitely want to be authentic to who you are as a leader. But at the same time, a lot of times, I'm in situations that are new or uncomfortable and I have to push myself to do something that I might not have done before. So I don't know that I can define authenticity as feeling comfortable because by definition, I, at least by my experience, a lot of leadership necessarily doesn't, doesn't necessarily feel comfortable. So um, I think it's a really great question as to like, how do you know when you're being authentic versus like not authentic? And I don't know if I have a super concrete answer. But I do think there are leadership styles that feel very foreign to me, and there are leadership styles that do feel a bit more natural. Um, and and so I think it is about trying to figure out what feels true to you and who who you are. But it may not necessarily feel super comfortable. Does that make sense? You know, that makes total sense. And I think even like almost as a follow up question is is even how do you learn how to become a leader? You know, if someone's all of a sudden put into a position where they are leading teams and they are trying to grow something, uh, like how did you even go about that? Yeah, I think it is really helpful to have role models, and they don't have to be mentors. I don't think they even have to be people that you know personally. But I've found it helpful to just have other people in my life who's like, oh, I really like that person's speaking style. They seem so natural and authentic. It doesn't feel like they're being super formal. And like that feels like a communication style that I could do. And so I remember very distinctly early in my career hearing a woman speak. And she's a friend and, and continues to be really influential in my life today. And it was more just like, oh, I could be a leader like that. And I think... Uh, just even exposing yourself to different people and different styles is really helpful. I know I've also learned what I don't want to be. So I think that can also be helpful. Even when you have negative examples, it's like, oh, I, I don't ever want to be the kind of leader that, you know, always pretends to know whether they're right or wrong and if they don't. So I really appreciated vulnerability in leaders and people admitting when they don't know something, people admitting when uh, they've made a mistake and apologizing for it. So I think all of that helps you become a more authentic leader and helps you sort of develop your own leadership style. You know, and I think that's such a good point of learning from uh, what you don't want to be, because I think quite often that is a a Mm -hmm. great tool of learning when you you see behavior that you don't want to be known for and you don't appreciate how uh, a certain leader runs things to learn that that's just not how you're going to do things when you're in a position of leadership. Yeah, yeah, I think sometimes what it is is like even switching on that lens to be like when I'm listening to someone speak or when I'm, however uh, it is or whatever the situation is, is having that lens of like, what do I like about this person's style and what is it that I don't like about this person's style? And I think even just being conscious of it helps you just be more aware and, uh, and helps you learn. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think that's a good follow up for, for what I kind of want to talk about next, which is um, going into, you know, fintech or the tech industry 
where mm-hmm. there is a lack of women in leadership positions. So what mm-hmm. what is it like for you to be a leader in an industry that doesn't have as many women uh, in those type of roles? Yeah, do you know what? There's definitely pros and cons. <laughs> so, um, and maybe I'll start with the pros because I do think there mm-hmm. are some benefits to uh, to being a woman in tech, which hopefully is encouraging to other women to like step up into it um, and, and not be too intimidated. So I think uh, very concretely, I'm, I'm thankful that today conference organizers and other people who are putting on events are conscious of the fact that they need to show more diversity in, in their lineups. And I think being a woman in tech means I do think I get more opportunities to speak or be on a panel because of that awareness that they, they need to have a diversity of voices and opinions and, and backgrounds. So um, in some ways, I think like that's been helpful for me uh, is, is sort of having more opportunities than I think I otherwise would. And that's definitely been helpful for Borowell as well. I think, again, by nature, you're like probably just a bit more memorable because uh, I do look different from a lot of other tech founders and, and entrepreneurs. So I think that's always helpful uh, as well. And then I think because there's a smaller group of us, women who are founders in tech, I think there's like a really tight community. So if I'm approached by someone who says, oh, they're a co-founder of a company, they're a woman, they like want to chat, like I'm pretty open to doing that. And I think a lot of people feel that way. So I feel like there's like a really tight group of of people supporting each other through that. Um, I think like the downside is just uh, not, I, like it's still feeling a little bit like you don't belong. So, uh, you know, when you walk into a room and everyone le- sort of looks similar except for, for me, I think there is something that's like, oh, do I really belong here? Or, uh, or, or, or will I not be successful? Because it looks like all the people who are successful just have different backgrounds or look different than I do. Right. I mean, I think... I think that uh, that probably translates to a lot of those industries where you don't see the um, women as much that uh, it's a little bit harder to walk into those rooms and to feel totally comfortable. I think it's amazing mm-hmm. that you have developed uh, within within the tech community a tech community of women who are co-founders mm-hmm. and founders of companies, yeah. which is very cool. Uh, so yeah. what do you think needs to be done to encourage more women into the tech industry so that we can see more reaching those leadership roles? Yeah, I think it's a two-way street. So um, I think for a lot of women, and I'll, I'll say women, but I do think whether it's women or other underrepresented groups in tech, and, and there are lots of them, I do think sometimes you have to see it to be it. And I don't necessarily think that a lot of people are looking at a career at uh, or a job at a startup or scale-up and saying they don't want to do it. I think that's possible. I think a lot of people just never think about it. I know for me, if I hadn't met Andrew, I don't know that this is a career path I would have thought was good for me at my life stage. I had just come off my second maternity leave. I had a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And in my mind, joining a startup meant that I should be you know, a 24-year-old guy with a computer science degree, maybe have dropped out of some sort of <laughs> prestigious school and, um, and could work sort of all hours in, into the evening. And so I think... For Borowell, one of the things that we've tried to emphasize is the diversity of the people who work here. There are lots of parents here. There are lots of you know moms with two kids who uh, who work here and, and love working here and and make it work with their their life. So um, I do think it's really important to be able to show people from underrepresented groups. It's like no, you can have a great life and have a great career and and do really meaningful work in this kind of environment. So I think that's like on the one side. On the other, I do think that 
companies need to put more of an effort into creating an environment that is welcoming to people from underrepresented groups. And I don't know that all tech companies have traditionally done a great job with this. Uh, it doesn't help that a lot of tech leadership teams look very homogeneous. And so I think sometimes executives don't put the time and effort needed into building a diverse and inclusive culture. And I understand it. I get that it's another thing that you have to do. But I think those who really believe in it will put the time and effort in, despite the fact that they've got a hundred other priorities and, uh, and it can feel like the other ones are more important. So mentorship, I imagine mentorship also plays a role in, in, in this. Um, so I'd love to talk mm-hmm. for a minute about kind of uh, for yourself, someone um, yeah. seeking mentorship, but also your views on mentoring, on mentoring others. Yeah, I think that mentorship can be really fraught sometimes, like people feeling that they have to have a mentor who is willing to spend hours and hours with them and, you know, is someone that they can look up to in every aspect of their life. And I say that my experience with mentorship has been different. Um, I don't necessarily feel like I have a single person who I look to as a mentor. I am very thankful that I have various people in my life, some people who are older and more experienced and other people who are younger and have less experience than I do, but I can still learn from. So one of the things I'm really thankful for is that within the tech community in Toronto, there's a guy named Ben Baldwin who has put together a number of forum groups, and uh, I think it's under the umbrella, umbrella of Founder City. And it's peer mentorship, which has been super great. So I get together on a regular basis with a group of six to seven other founders, and we all have different experiences, but that's been a really supportive community. And so I think that... Uh, for those who feel the pressure of like needing to find a single mentor, I don't know that that is, uh, is necessary or even the most helpful model that maybe through people that you know, like you can be supporting each other and you may have like different people you call on for different kinds of advice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's a good point because I know for me personally, it's, it's organic mentorships. Um, you know, I, I have been part of more formalized programs where you're paired with mentors, but, um, mm. and I've gotten lucky actually with that, uh, that one is still uh, mm-hmm. a mentor of mine today, but, uh, and, and the peer mentorship, right. And learning from, from, from each other. I think that's, I think that's an excellent way of looking at it. Uh, so now I'd like to, I'd like you to think for a minute, if, if you could go back in time and you can decide whether that's, you know, when you were first approached about Borowell or whether it's when you first started college or at left high school, but if you could go back to a particular time and have a conversation with your younger self, what kind of conversation would you have? Yeah, I think that's a super thoughtful question. Uh, I think there's some very tactical things. Like I always had really liked math, but I had never taken a class in computer science. So I think like that would be one small thing. I think just to challenge myself to do something that was a bit more technical, uh, I think would have been like one sort of smaller tactical thing. I guess the bigger thing, if I could, was just to believe that I could be a leader. I think I'd always just sort of thought that I would be a quiet person and crunching numbers in the background or, you know, being an analyst. And I could never really picture myself as a leader. So I don't know why or or um, what it is, but I, I think even just like daring to dream a little bit more about what could be possible, um, I think uh, however I could deliver that advice in a way that would be understood is, is something I'd want to, to share. And I, I mean, hopefully I'll share with, uh, with your listeners today is like leaders do have different styles. You don't have to be a, an extroverted, loud kind of person in order to be a leader. And so I'd really encourage everyone to think about uh, what in themselves could um, 
uh, could be leadership qualities. And, and again, just to encourage people to dream a little bit bigger. Dream a little bit bigger. I love that. And yeah. uh, I think it's something everybody, regardless of age as well, needs to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> just dream a little bit yeah. bigger. So, yeah, I do think that's really true because, I mean, you don't want to come to the end of your career and be like, oh, I really wish I had done this. Or, uh, yeah, I think there's like a lot of fear of failure that uh, that prevents people from searching or, you know, trying that new thing. And one of the things that people often ask me is like, well, how did you have the risk appetite in order to do this, to do Borowell? And to me, it was never sort of super risky. I think I just assumed that if this didn't work out, I was going to go find a job. <laughs> and that's what I was going to do even if I hadn't done this. I didn't think that failing at this or this not working out would mean that I was suddenly unemployable. So I think like that's helpful. You always have You'll never know if you don't try, and I don't think that you're you're losing out on anything. If if anything, you're going to be learning new skills and abilities that make you more marketable and more employable. And so I just sort of think like, what's the worst that could happen? The worst that could happen for me is like I would just go get a job. The worst that could happen. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> so now it's time for our fast three, which is really just a selfish way for me to get an excellent reading list. But uh, <laughs> so I'm just going to ask you three questions. Just would love uh, love your answers on them. So the first is, what is your favorite podcast or source of information? Yeah, a podcast I really love is Work Life by Adam Grant. He's an organizational psychologist. He's a professor at Wharton. He and he does this terrific podcast I called Work Life. Okay, cool. And what are you currently reading? So I am finishing off a book called Inspired by Marty Kagan, and it's about how to build products. So for anyone who is thinking about becoming an entrepreneur or someone who currently is one, I think it's a great, uh, a great book on sort of building great products. Cool. And who is currently inspiring you? So I recently met a woman named Sarah Fryer. She is the former CFO of a fintech company, Square. She is a CEO of a company called Nextdoor, which just launched in Canada. And she, on the side, co-founded an organization called Ladies Who Launch, which is inspiring women around the world to start their own companies and become entrepreneurs. And so I think she's pretty awesome. Amazing. Um, okay, cool. Well, uh, Eva, I just want to say thank you for taking time out of your day to come and chat with me. It's been uh, really awesome chatting with you. So thanks so much. Great. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on Run It Like a Girl. The host of Run It Like a Girl is Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Technical support provided by Dan Moak. And music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk. On the next episode of Run It Like a Girl, Sarah Dittmars in 2017 became the first female to win Trainer of the Year in the Ontario Junior Hockey League. As a registered kinesiologist, Sarah was the head therapist and conditioning coach for the Trenton Golden Hawks. She's also the founder of Sarah Dittmar's Sports Performance, working online with athletes who are pursuing excellence. Sarah Dittmar's on the next episode of Run It Like a Girl.